Hello, and welcome to the Aviva podcast. We make this podcast for internal colleagues to help keep them up to date with what's going on across the hot topics at Aviva. But we also send this out to the world and let anybody who wants to listen to us. So if that's you, welcome. We're very happy to have you here with us. This episode is the latest in our quantum series, highlighting our global data science practice. I'm Andrew Spinks. I work within UKGI Commercial Lines Analytics team. And today I'm joined by Siobhan Kelleher, Head of UKGI Commercial Lines Analytics, and Dorothy Comber, VP Data Science and Transformation in Aviva Canada. Welcome. Welcome both. Thanks for having us. Today we're going to be celebrating International Women's Day, which this year is being held on the 8th of March. And we're going to be discussing the topic of women in data science. So. Let's dive right into it. If I could ask each of you for the first word that comes into your head when I say women in data. I think that I would have to say trailblazers. I think data in itself is a field that's really evolving. Um, and I think women are helping you know, blaze that trail and changing our businesses and the ways that we use data. Absolutely. Definitely agree with you there, Dorothy, in terms of looking at things in a different way from a women's perspective. I think the word that comes to mind for me is underrepresented. Certainly in the 25 odd years that I've been working in this field, I think definitely women are underrepresented in this field. Let's delve into that a bit, a bit further. Just um, before we do, I was wondering, Dorothy, could you tell us about your career path that brought you to your current position? Sure. So I connected with technology pretty early in my life. And when I got my first computer, I think I was about 11. It was already kind of getting into little scripts and things to make my games run better. Um, <laughs> and by the time I was in, in high school and took my first computer science course, I realized that this was really like my path. The interesting thing, though, is that I didn't take a straight path from there. And I think that it's sort of a lesson learned through life. I listened to people around me and I actually went into more of a, an electrical engineering space through university and thought I wanted to be a hardware engineer. While I was at Honeywell, I received an offer to work in a fintech startup in Toronto. And I, it was a real struggle for me to decide if that's something that I wanted to do, even though I was really passionate about coding and I was really into it. And ultimately, I made that decision. And I think it's probably the best decision that I made because it really changed the trajectory of my life. And I realized it was the right place for me. It was something I was good at. It was something I was passionate about. And I spent 11 years at Awanda really being able to grow some technical chops in a very challenging space and to really build a diverse set of skills around, you know, connecting business strategy to technology. From there, you know, I would say the next step for me was almost like another steer in the wrong direction. I went to somewhere <laughs> where I wasn't quite as happy. And then I took time off. I took a year to spend with my children. And I think as a mother, that was one of the best things that I did. And then ultimately came to Aviva in a more data-centric role. And I think the experience I've had in technology prior were always very data-centric. So it was a natural progression to go into a role that was much more focused on data, but also gave me a chance to sort of explore a new domain with data science, which has been really rewarding. Sounds really good. So not not a completely smooth <laughs> target on this role, but making some. No, and I think and I think that that helps people, you know, see that your career doesn't have to always be figured out, right? You can Absolutely. take a winding path and land where you really need to be and have a lot of growth. And and those paths actually help you grow. They help you know what you're good at. They help you know. Mm what you really like to do. Um, and ultimately, when you land in those right places, it feels really good to know you're doing what you're meant to be doing. 
Absolutely. My career path has been quite similar in that it hasn't been a kind of um, straight line to where I am now. Similarly, I was um, really into my coding, probably at age of eight years old when the Spectrum 48K came out. I'd be sitting there typing my little games in, copying them out of a book, uh, making songs up. But at that point, um, kind of in the mid 80s or early 80s, a computer science path wasn't really something that girls were encouraged to do. Um, So it was more of a hobby than anything. I enjoyed maths at school when it came to the later years. While I was at school, uh, my careers officer suggested um, I become an actuary. Having kind of gone to high school next to Aviva, I kind of saw people going into from the office and thought, I do not want to work in an office. Um, So the two options that I'd explored was becoming an RAF pilot or a quantity surveyor. Unfortunately, um, due to some hearing difficulties that I've got, the RAF pilot was um, not an option. So I went down the route of becoming a quantity surveyor, um, started the first year of an undergraduate degree in quantity surveying. One term in, I realised I I'd made a massive mistake. Um, this is probably my first taste of being a woman in a man, a male-dominated area. So I was on the course. I was one of um, 31 people. I was the only female on the course. There was a woman um, in the year above me. 60% of the men on the course were probably 40 plus. weren't really okay with having a female um, out in the field with them. So I made a decision after the first term that I wanted to change my course. Didn't really understand what I wanted to do, what I wanted to be, because I'd all always thought for the last for the previous three years that I was going to be a quantity surveyor or a pilot. So the other courses that were available to me and that I was passionate about was operational research. That's kind of business mathematics um, and human geography. I studied geography at A-level, really enjoyed it. So I went with my passions. Um, as I said, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left college. In my final year of my degree, I discovered geographical information science. Um, so that got me really under the hood of how data is used, primarily spatial data used um, in analytics. Um, And the final year, I decided that was going to be my path. So I focused in on doing uh, my dissertation, focused very much on GIS in the human geography element, um, and decided to follow through with a master's degree in geographical information science um, and computer science. So I've progressed with the master's. And then I was really fortunate to get a job working for the National Blood Service, so public sector, where they were building what I would say would be the early doors data science department. So I was there primarily for my kind of spatial analytics knowledge, uh, but working with two or three mathematics geniuses, I can only say. And I realised the huge potential there was in data, in coding, bringing all the things I really love together. Um, So that was really kind of the acorn growing of my career path. So it sounds like, yeah, you both had your twists and turns, but it was that underlying passion and interest in in the field that mm. I guess drove you to to find these positions, um, you know, sure. where, where you're now flourishing. Dorothy, uh, just coming to you, Siobhan mentioned there about being the only women in uh, her course on quantity surveying. Do you or have you ever felt restricted or disadvantaged being part of only 25% of women in data? To be honest, I think if you asked me that same question two years ago, I would have said that I've been extremely lucky in my career to work with people where my capabilities and talents have been able to stand on their own. And I do still believe that. But I think in the last couple of years, we've dug much deeper into um, diversity and inclusion topics, and I've reflected on my career. I've realized that a lot of the challenges I've faced in the past are likely very similar to what other women face as well. And When I look back, I see that oftentimes I did feel overlooked or unseen. And Mm -hmm. I think um, it was as a result of just not being as comfortable to boast about my capabilities Mm -hmm. or speak up when somebody else was overpowering 
a conversation. And I do think that a lot of women feel that way. We tend to be more collaborative. We build communities of thought and ideas to drive you know, certain outcomes in the organization. And those types of skills make it more difficult for you to stand out. And they're not always seen as sort of the typical leadership skills. And so sometimes I think back and wonder if I didn't have someone in my career that kind of advocated for me in those really early days would I be, you know, sort of where I am today? Because I really needed that advocacy. And that's why for me, I'm so passionate about the fact that we really need to advocate for our people, especially in those junior roles, and really give them those opportunities to show and demonstrate leadership, um, even if they're not the ones who are always raising their hand or speaking up. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more there, Dorothy. I think as, as females, we suffer from the dreaded imposter syndrome. Um, I think that holds an awful lot of women um, from putting themselves forward or exposing themselves for opportunities that are out there for us. Siobhan, Dorothy mentioned needing that support or that kind of advocacy. What do you think is the key thing we could all do to help support more women in data? I think in my experience, it's very much around listening. So touching on the point that Dorothy was mentioning, I feel like often um, I haven't always been listened to. My opinions and thoughts, my insights didn't really matter. I've been in various meetings in previous companies. I must add, it hasn't been something I've experienced too much in Aviva. Male colleagues talking over, especially the more junior females in the meetings. Um, and I think what we need to do is be uh, calling out those things so in meetings, making sure that everybody has a voice, everyone has the ability to be able to put forward their opinion, um, offer their insights. Early on in my career, I was petrified of talking in meetings because I'd seen those behaviours and I didn't want to confront those. Um, I was fearful of being identified as a fraud or asking a silly question. And I know this isn't a problem that's just been encountered by women, um, but it's certainly something I've tried to ensure gets addressed. And I think I've had bosses previously that have clocked this and made a special effort to ensure that I've had an opportunity to speak and be heard. And I think that's what we can all do um, in those types of environments. I couldn't agree more. I think that recognition of you know somebody in the room knowing some great information about a topic and giving them an opportunity to speak on it and say you know what sherry really knows a lot about this sherry why don't you give your input Absolutely. that really opens up the floor to that person and allows them the space to be able to speak and, and be seen for the mm. the skilled person that they are and it takes people out of their comfort zone as well if you kind of don't get those opportunities to speak and we don't give those opportunities to, to speak then they aren't going to step out of their comfort zone and realize that they can't they do have something to offer so dorothy many people in data science at aviva and beyond will probably look up to your role as a long-term ambition did you always see yourself getting or aiming for this point in fact i didn't so i would say that for a long time i felt like there was sort of you know the proverbial glass ceiling above my head you know early in my career but also actually when i joined aviva and you know i typically associated that with the anxiety that i have in being in the spotlight and types of situations like this even where you know if you asked me 3 years ago i might have not participated in a podcast like this because i didn't <laughs> feel like i was the right type of person for this and it you know there's a level of anxiety performance anxiety that goes along with it. But what I've learned over the past few years in Aviva, and I think that Aviva has done such a fantastic job of helping me, you know, really see the diversity in leadership within this space. I've learned that one of the other aspects of this was that I just wasn't seeing people like me in leadership roles. 
right? Whether it was women, whether it was people who, you know, openly are willing to talk about their challenges. In the last few years, I've been able to connect with different leaders, many of whom, you know, are very capable women leaders that, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of in my career, but also been able to be part of groups where we have very open and vulnerable discussions about our career paths Mm -hmm. and the things that we struggle with. And you sort of realize that there are people from all walks of life that have become leaders and they have equally challenging aspects of their lives. You know, they get up every day and they they sort of figure out how to do this. And when they get up in front of people and when they show their leadership, you know, you we look up to them. And it made me realize that I am no different than any of those leaders. And it's really about just taking on the task and being willing to grow and step into these shoes. You know, it's been life-changing for me. I think, you know, I no longer feel like I have that ceiling. I think that anything's possible. And if I continue to grow, who knows where where I could end up. And that's something that I think Aviva have definitely enabled, certainly more, more recently with the values that we have in terms of talking about this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Say it's, it's really important that we are encouraged to have these conversations rather than shy away from the difficult topics. It's having those open agree. and honest discussions, isn't it? It's, it's being who you are. It's being able to be open and honest about your insecurities. And if everyone's open and honest, you realise that not everyone's got the bravado that they might be um, showcasing. I completely agree. I've had the opportunity at Aviva to participate in the Women in Leadership program in Canada, and it's just been such a fantastic program to be able to connect with other women leaders, to share our experiences, to have a network of people to depend on and grow with has just been so valuable to be in my career. And I definitely encourage women if they have the opportunity to be part of that program to take part because it's really helped me understand my strengths within the leadership space and giving me a network of people that I could really connect with and rely on. So Siobhan, Dorothy mentioned there about having role models to to look up to, to inspire. Was there anyone along your education or career journey who has inspired you and and any particular advice you've taken from them? One person that really comes to mind was a a crazy maverick science teacher I had at high school. Um, She was the type of woman that would bring in a sheep to our class. Um, She wore outrageous clothes. Bearing in mind, I went to a Catholic school. The attire that you wore um, had a huge impact on people's perceptions of you. She was one of the few teachers that we could talk openly and honestly with. I think the key thing that she allowed us to do was just be who we are. We didn't have to be an ideal student. We didn't have to be great at anything or indeed anything. Um, she just positively encouraged us to be individuals, to question everything and be curious. Coming from a working class background as well, university was not something that I'd considered in high school in the 80s. I even didn't even think it was possible for someone from my background. She was kind of the driving force to make, make me realise that anything was possible as long as I worked hard. So while she didn't inspire my career, choices. She helped me realise that I could be me and I could be an individual. The world was my oyster. So she really kind of put me on the path to believe that I could achieve things outside of um, what my background would normally allow. And from what you've both mentioned in terms of your career paths, that knowing yourself and knowing what you're passionate about has obviously played a big role in your success of getting to where you are now. So it sounds like she was a big inspiration for you and a big part of of your development there. Definitely. Just opened my eyes to what the possibilities were. And like you say, like following passions and even allowing yourself to understand that having a passion is something you could make a career out of. So Dorothy, do you have any advice or recommended steps for people out there who might have a passion for data or computer science and are looking to get into data science as a career? For sure. And I think it definitely depends on what stage of your career you're in. But I think mm-hmm. there's the sort of two key things. The first is really find someone to connect with in your network 
that knows about data science in this space, because there are a multitude of different opportunities available. In, in Canada, we have a really diverse team, and some of those individuals are very technical, like actuaries or machine learning engineers. But there's also other individuals like product managers who are more, more business focused and helping us develop our strategy alongside our business partners. So really helping you know shape your understanding of what it means to be part of data science and what role you like to play, how that aligns with your goals can help you know you figure out what's the next step for you. The second piece is is you know given that this is a technical space, getting some technical skills under your belt is necessary, but I would say it, that also varies on the role that you choose. I think at a minimum you want to just get a good understanding of uh, the core ideas um, behind data science and to be comfortable with analyzing and using data. And you could do that as part of uh, a more formal program. But also any online starting point for data science can start jumpstart your learning journey. And really it's about just you know feeding your brain with information about how do we use data uh, within our business and starting to have a lens by which you can look at the work that you do and our business um, through data so that you can better understand how to leverage data to drive you know the decisions we need to make at Aviva. Great advice there. Very much. I wish you'd have been around 25 years ago. Told me that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Siobhan, you mentioned that, you know, you wish Dorothy had been around 25 years ago. Th- throughout the course of your career, how do you think that the gender equality position has, has changed? I think it hasn't really changed. I think the acknowledgement that there's a problem has changed. I think there's far more of an acknowledgement now. But I don't think in terms of when I look around the office and I see the kind of female to male ratio, um, I don't think it's um, 50-50. Which is what it should be. And I think that's driven probably by high school um, and even middle school. I'd suggest that a lot of females aren't encouraged to get into the STEM subjects um, still. I think there's been a lot of movement there, but I don't think it's something that a lot of girls think they can get into. And especially when we look at diversity, I think people from um, disadvantaged backgrounds don't think of it as a career option and females don't think of it as a career option. So I think there's an awful lot of work to do in pre-university years to make people realise that there are career paths outside of um, the standard for them. I couldn't agree more. I think when we look at Aviva Canada, our ratios have increased. I think maybe you know from 10 years ago maybe we had 10 percent women in these types of fields and now we're at a 20 or 25 but it's still not where we need it to be and i think you know starting from the young girls who look at career paths and look at the, the skills that they could potentially grow that's where we need to start because absolutely that's when those decisions are made as to what they're interested in what they start exploring what they're exposed to as little girls mm-hmm. i don't know how many people are thinking about teaching their girls coding or or playing mm. with electronics or things that sometimes are typically things that we you know provide for boys to play with but the more that we can have that diversity of play in the younger mm. generation the more that those young girls can discover that they actually are really interested in these types of things. Absolutely. So it sounds like there is still a lot of work to do in this space. And obviously there is a lot of focus in, you know, there's a lot of people who want to to help improve this. Dorothy, have you had any conversations with non-female colleagues about difficult experiences you've had as a woman working in data? I have. And and I I find that those conversations come in two flavors. They are typically not easy conversations to have and express because form that the difficulties come in are often in the form of microaggressions. And so as a result, 
they seem like minor gripes or inconveniences to you know one person or another until you look at them as a whole and the way that they've really impacted someone over a significant period of time. So sometimes when you have those discussions with people, you get sort of this feeling that they don't really believe you yeah. or that you're being overly sensitive. And then you almost get self-conscious that you're the one who's being, you know, in the wrong here, or that maybe you're you're appearing weak, or like I said, overly sensitive. But I will say that on the flip side, I've also had the other type of discussion. And when colleagues have been very empathetic and willing to have real conversations about diversity around these issues and really under, trying to understand what that looks like um, in this space, those have been much more fruitful conversations because those individuals really want to learn about what does this actually look like to someone and how do I help participate in driving change and awareness? If we can continue to encourage people to have that type of conversation and to really start to listen and validate the feelings mm-hmm. that individuals are having, that will help us get you know over the line to be able to help encourage um, people to come forward when they're feeling that way and to help raise awareness of the types of experiences people are having. Absolutely. I, mean, I think one of the common experiences that I've seen, certainly as a personal experience, is thinking the difficulty, the experiences were due to me, not to me being a woman. And as the years have kind of gone on, the more w- women I've spoken to, um, it hasn't been me. It has been, like you say, the microaggressions that have been coming to the fore. I, I think women do that a lot. It's it's you know, we typically think, oh, I did something or I'm like absolutely said. So we've heard about imposter syndrome and, and being the only woman in the room. Is there any other kind of tough battles that you'd like to bring up today? For me, I think it's a life stage. So I'm currently in the throes of going through the perimenopause. Isn't something that was really talked about when I was younger. Always knew it was coming, but didn't really realise what that involved. Um, so the foggy brain, the mood swings, the inability to focus have impacted me in my personal life and as a woman, but also impacted me as an employee and impacted those around me. But fortunately, the Aviva culture has allowed me to be open and honest about my experience. So I can talk to male colleagues and female colleagues about the experience and the symptoms. And Aviva have got a really good support network in place where we can talk to each other about the experiences um, and realising that we are not going crazy. One of the facts that I've seen was quite a lot of um, senior leaders, senior female leaders, leave their roles when they hit their kind of late 40s, early 50s because they're going through the perimenopause or the menopause. Um, And I just did not want to be one of those people. So I've had various conversations um, with some of the males around me, some of my senior male leaders who are kind of taking on board doing some of the training Aviva have put together, some of the understanding pieces. So I'm kind of really happy that we've got those things in place to enable me as a woman to carry on with my career into my twilight years. That's amazing to hear, Siobhan. It's so wonderful to know that Aviva has been so supportive. I know that they have in other areas as well. And these are life stages that can be so difficult for people. And knowing that that support system is in place as people head into those stages in life is so amazing. And it it reflects why Aviva as a company has just built a strong culture around its people. And I'm just proud to hear you say that, to be honest, because um, I know that, you know, even through COVID and through the tough times that we've been in the last couple of years, there has been a lot of support. And so it's great mm-hmm. to see that that's extending into life stages and other challenges as well. So, Dorothy, you mentioned that you have children. How have you been or seen other females impacted by taking time out for maternity or care leave? So I did have children quite early in my career. And I would say there are two two ways that I was impacted. One was 
to be honest, I was in a, a very male dominated young company and not many people in the company had children. So first off, I was afraid to have children because I was worried about um, my career not having the progression uh, and passing up an opportunity. And then when I did go on maternity leave, I actually did get passed up for a promotion because I was on maternity leave. I did get a call to see if I wanted to come back at the three-month mark out of my 12-month maternity term, and I wasn't willing to come back. I was the natural candidate for the position, but you know the company decided to move forward and, and give the opportunity to somebody else. And unfortunately, being a small company, it meant that there might not be an opportunity like that for me available anytime soon. So it is one of those pieces that I think women do worry about, mm-hmm. and it can negatively impact their ability to b- progress in a career uh, depending on when you know some of those opportunities come up. Do you think that issue is improving now with more companies offering parental leave for all genders? I think the challenge is that women take uh, typically take a longer term leave. I think it's fantastic that we offer parental leave for all genders. And I'm a huge advocate for fathers also taking parental leave as well. I think the time you can spend at that young age with your children is invaluable and you can only get one chance to do that. But the term for maternity leave tends to be longer and thus there's you know more opportunities to miss out on things during those times. Um, and there's not a lot of thought or consideration necessarily put into how that might impact a woman's career long term. Okay, well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you both for your contributions today. Thank you, listeners. Hope you enjoyed this brief chat. Um, and just before we go, uh, if I could get one snippet from, from each of you on what you'd like our listeners to take away today. For me, it would be around don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid to be yourself. Don't be afraid to fail. Experiment, learn, and do something that you're passionate about. And for me, I would say that you know, no matter who you are in the organization, make sure that you Take the time to challenge your biases. Look at those around you, you know, give them opportunities to showcase their skills. They might surprise you. And, you know, we might find leaders anywhere in our organization and we need to give them a chance to shine. And if you're out there listening and interested in a role within Aviva Quantum, please go to aviva.com. Keep an eye on our career site. We may be recruiting for, for data roles, so we'd love to hear from you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please like, rate and subscribe and all that jazz. Um, and join us again for the next episode in our Quantum series. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.